All right, settle down, settle down. Welcome into another episode of the Young Dad Podcast. I'm Jay, and joining me today is Kelly JP. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, brother. How you doing? I'm doing so good. I'm so happy that we finally get to connect and jump in and talk a little bit. Uh, first and foremost, I'm a fan of your show. Uh, welcome to Fatherhood Podcast. I appreciate it. It's such a different like fatherhood podcast because it's literally the journey from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favorite things about it. And it's just like from the perspective, like from day one, pretty much of just what you're going through on a regular basis, challenges you're having, what you're seeing. And it's just such a cool record for you to have, like for your kids and for your babies as they grow up yeah, and man. as they get older and they hear it later. Yeah. That was the, that was the point. Um, when I first started it, it was supposed to be more of um, me talking about, you know, what it's like to bring a baby home and, you know, just kind of chronicling the day to day. But then mm-hmm. my firstborn came in 2020. And at the time that he came, there was just so much stuff going on in the country and race relations and stuff like that. And so I started talking about things that I was not prepared to talk about. So this is like real time processing of me and discovering who I am as a dad and figuring this whole thing out while also bringing a new baby home and the chaotic world and the whole nine. So it's, it's been quite a journey. Yeah. And what a time to, to do all that. And for the listeners that aren't on YouTube or just listen to this audio only, Kelly, it's, if they can't put those dots together, they're pretty <laughs> obvious, but you are in Af- a very handsome African-American gentleman. Well, thank you. Uh, and if the listeners didn't know about me, I'm also biracial as well. So uh, if you didn't know, now you know. But yeah. now you also know why that whole race part was mentioned for some context. I like yeah. to give people context because they're like, well, why are these two dudes just talking about race? And it's like, oh. That makes sense. Yeah. It yeah. affects them kind of thing. So, but no, that was a crazy time. It was so nuts. Like I had a, my youngest was born during 2020, uh, November. Okay. And so going through it, raising one that was like at home, she was three, two going on three during that time. And it was, it was weird. Cause we had moved, we mm. moved from Flagstaff, Arizona up to the Tri-Cities in Washington. Okay. And uh, during April 2020, because my ex-wife, my wife at the time, my now ex-wife, had lost her job. And because she was a preschool teacher and it shut down. And so we moved up here. And yeah, it was just, it was weird. I was working at Lowe's and we were wearing masks. But if we went outside, we'd have to wear masks. And then yeah. the whole race thing, like, yeah. I remember like people talking to me because like this is a very predominantly Caucasian white area mm-hmm. and also very strong Hispanic Latino area as well. Okay. But it's not a very strong colored area. It's a very strong LGBTQ plus community as well. Okay. So it had its own unique things for mm-hmm. when it came to those kind of riots and things like that, which was really interesting because we weren't. We never really had looting or anything like that or any of that stuff that you saw in like the media, but yeah. we had our own like rallies and things like that. But I don't remember ever any um, BIPOC, um, any 
black and indigenous people of color kind of rallies or anything like that. So it was interesting now that you mentioned that, but uh, we could spend all day talking about that. But a little bit about you, Kelly, before we jump in, you know, I mentioned how awesome your podcast is. I'm a fan of your show. Your Instagram pages are absolute fire. Uh, The Miscarriage Dad page on Instagram is one for dads who have experienced early pregnancy loss also known as miscarriage as well, but from his perspective, which is so important because that's not talked about. It's rarely talked about. Um, While also welcome, while you're welcome to fatherhood is a platform, a podcast highlighting the social double standards that complicate the environment for dads to be the healthiest and most capable and selfless people they can. So Kelly, tell us a little bit about yourself a little bit more about your fatherhood journey, your platforms, and how and why they got started. You kind of mentioned it, but give us the give us the story. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that, man. So I did not have a good relationship uh, with my father for a variety of different reasons. Part of it was just life circumstances that um, my my parents had to be separated uh, so that they could look for a a better way of life for us. And then somewhere along that plan, that trajectory, um, it just seemed like my father went on one course. And so I was brought up mostly with my mom and my two sisters. I am one of three and I'm the only uh, male in my family and I'm sandwiched in between two sisters. So growing up, I didn't have a father figure per se who was there and um, active and present and all of those things that we strive to be as fathers mm-hmm. now. I was, I didn't know that then, but growing up, I've discovered that his absence was creating this sort of like encyclopedic entries in my mind as to what I wanted to be like once I became a father. So I always knew that I wanted to be a dad from a very young age and whatever that was going to look like, I was going to make it different than what my experiences were growing up without a dad. So when, when I became a father, when my wife was, was pregnant the first time, Um, our first two pregnancies ended in miscarriage. So I'm kind of intertwining the the story here um, because not intertwining, I'm kind of sharing the story that way because both platforms come out of the one single story, which is right. My story. Mm -hmm. So our first two pregnancies ended in, in miscarriage. Um, And the third one, was our first living child who was born in in 2020, like I said at the top. So once I was at that phase of welcoming a living child, it was incredible. Um, I was jaded because of the two prior experiences, but I wanted to produce something like a manual for my son, given that the one thing that I kept hearing over and over again is that there is no manual to parenting. So Mm -hmm. I was like, what an audacious thing to try to do and just create a manual for my kiddo and pass it on to him when he becomes a father, should he decide to become a father, or even if he's interested in knowing who the heck his dad was 
from mm-hmm. these early years of his life that he won't have clear memories about. So I want him to hear what I felt about him, what I thought about him, how glowingly I spoke about him, how annoyed I was with him, like the whole nine. I just wanted him to get a sense of all of that to help his own identity formation um, because I realized that that's something that I don't have. And so I don't know what my dad ever felt or thought about me, if he was proud of me or any of that stuff. And so I wanted to pass all of that stuff on to my son should he get to a moment of his life where he's doubting or questioning those things. So that's how Welcome to Fatherhood was born as this audacious attempt to create a, a fatherhood manual for my son. And, but like I said, because of the context of 2020, where he was born, he was born in May, 2020, things just kind of went in a different direction. So, so the conversations that I wanted to have were the conversations that, um, were not conversations that I had rather, I was forced to have different conversations that I was planning to on, on having. And what turned out to be, bro, was that I started meeting people from all over the country, uh, people from different parts of the world who were willing to just talk to a total stranger and hop on and, and share their experiences and allow me to challenge uh, some of the things that they would say and empathize and do all of that stuff. And once the journey got going, once that train got going, it was just like, yo, this is, this is incredible. So fast forward to this year when we welcomed our second living child. So in the middle, in between my firstborn and my secondborn, who is also my lastborn, uh, my wife and I experienced another two miscarriages. So um, now my focus is more on the Miscarriage Dads platform, which is this platform for men and fathers to openly talk about our experience of early pregnancy loss as a way to break the stigma around pregnancy altogether and to also normalize the fact that men and fathers do have an experience of early pregnancy loss, even if we're not the ones who are physically carrying the baby. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my experience is what my latter experience and also the former one is what just pushed me in, in this direction. Excuse me, because when I was looking for stuff, as I was going through these things, I didn't find anything here in the States. Uh, Everything that I found was sort of overseas. So I'm trying to do something about it. I love that, man. That's, that's so rough, man. I, my heart goes out to you and to your wife and, you know, four miscarriages in the span of four years, five years. Yeah, in the span of five years. Span of five years, man. That's. It's not easy. It's not easy for anyone. Yeah. And the crazy Um, thing is I've come across people who have had way more in a much shorter span. So you can imagine just like, you know, what that does to both uh, parents, but also to the individual person, right? The implications of that to the woman, the implications of that to the man. So yeah, man. Because I can't, I can't imagine like finding out you're pregnant six four out of six times and only two of them carrying and even you know for me just like the first thing i think of for that is like how do you how do you keep trying 
like obviously you know once you get to your first one it's a little bit more relieving like okay we got here we kept trying we pushed through we persevered we got it we got the first one but even after the second two more to get to your your second living like how did how did you guys just keep trying and keep pushing through that because that must have just been so just mentally grueling 100 percent, dude and those are the type of you gotta start your engine, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't time that with my neighbor, so. <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, hold on. I, I know he's going to drive away pretty soon. You're good. And I, I'll just talk then to fill it, but. Yeah. I can only imagine. I have been very fortunate and blessed that I, both of mine, have been start to finish. I guess would be the thing the best way I can think of it, you know, not to be insensitive towards you or anything, but you know, it's, it's crazy because I don't think that if I had one and then two miscarriages that I would even want to keep trying personally. Mm -hmm. It's like, cool. I have the one. I'll just focus here kind of thing. So listen, just, all of that is valid because that's where, that's where I ended up in that place. Also, after the first two, the first one was different um, from all the other ones because of expectations that were set and that I allowed to set. And, you know, you can hear more about that story on uh, on the pod. I'm also releasing, if you don't mind me saying this, I'm also releasing a, a podcast uh, Monday, October 2nd on, uh, it's called the Miscarriage Dads uh, Podcast with a buddy okay. of mine that I went to school with. And it was an in-launching the miscarriage dad platform that I ended up finding out that my close friend himself had experienced a miscarriage with his wife. So he, he opened up to me, I opened up to him and he was just like, Hey, let's, let's do this thing. Um, I, I'm I on board that. in whatever way you need. And so he, he's my co-host on this project, but I love that. And I think it's just, it's so hard. Like you guys are close friends, you said, and it wasn't till recently that he was able to open up like good on him. Like that's amazing that he yeah. was able to open up. He was able to talk. He was able to come to you for support and get on board, share his story, share his perspective. Like that's amazing. Like I applaud both of you for it. Cause it's so hard to do. Yeah. Uh, but just on top of that, like you guys are close friends. Like, and you've known him and talked to him countless times probably before he actually told you. And, you know, that's part of the, that's part of the problem here. That's part of the stigma around it is that 100%. we, we think about it for the women, like, cause yeah, it's obviously very closely associated. We think about the mental toll miscarriage is going to take on a woman mm -hmm. because they're physically growing a baby. Then all of a sudden it's gone, mm -hmm. but their body still is filled with those hormones and changes mm -hmm. and whatnot. Then their body has to transition and they have to, if people don't know, it depends on the stage of the, of the miscarriage, but sometimes they have to birth that unliving child. They still have yeah. to go through birth and, or some kind of way to get the child out, you know, yeah. Yeah. which is really grueling to still give birth, but not to a, to a child that you get to hold or whatnot. I've yeah. seen... I've seen it before where they do let the mom like hold the baby still just to, you know, grieve it and to 
experience it, to hold it, to make sure that, you know, to let go and to have that moment of birth and whatnot and things like that. But it's, when I see that in my mind, I literally see a pitch black room. It's like kind of gray, like in the movies and whatnot, where it's just like the gray screen, black and white. It's just dark. There's some ominous, like some ominous times, cheerful music playing because it's just dark. It's sad. It's like a funeral, but it's also a burst at the same time. It's, it's, I can't, I can't fathom going through that for myself. So for you, how, how did you go through it two times, have one, two times, have your last child? Because obviously, you know, it sounds like that was the plan. Get to the second keep trying for the second and then we're we're not going to keep going through this kind of thing if that's what it sounds like i'm making an assumption but yeah uh, no that's a that's a safe assumption so after after we got our first living child i was done i i i was i was good like we 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 have a, a living child i am straight like we don't we don't need anything else. Um, the joke with my wife is that when we're dating, because I'm one of three, I was like, hey, I want three kiddos because I'm one of three. I have a strong relationship with my sisters. Like I want I want to live that as a parent to see my kids have a strong relationship. But we need a triad like we 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 need them, all three of them. And then for context, I work at a pediatric uh, hospital. Uh, here in Philly, where I live. And once I started working there and I started seeing some of the things that I started seeing, I came back to my then uh, girlfriend slash fiance. And I was like, hey, two kids is two kids are all we need. (laughs) That's that's it. I'm good. I'm good. I think I think two is a a good number. Mm -hmm. And then all of our trying and the two miscarriages that we had. And then when we finally had our firstborn and raising him and going through the whole uh, shock of what it means to bring a brand new baby home and the sleepless nights and the energy that it requires, both mental and physical yeah. and emotional, I was like, you know what? I think one is I think one's perfect. good. Yeah, this one is, is great. Good. This is so good. This is so, so good. One? That's it, fam. Like we good. We don't we don't need anything else. So I was dead set on one. My wife, on the other hand, uh, because of the age gap between her and my brother-in-law, she lived a good decade of her life as a single child. And that mm. experience has really uh marked her. And so she was she feels strongly about not having just one child because she didn't want our kid to be a single child. Yeah, definitely. So so then we started, you know, we started wrestling with the thought of, I mean, we we've had two miscarriages, you know, thank God we have this living child. You know, what's to say that we're not going to experience another one again? Like what's to say that we're gonna have another living child, which which is a another wrinkle in this whole thing, because just because you have one living healthy mm-hmm. kid doesn't mean that your next one is going to be a yeah, healthy kid guarantee it isn't like just statistically speaking aren't the chances of slightly a little bit better 
for couples who have had a couple of miscarriages, once they do have a living child, their next like their next attempt is a little bit more successful. It's not a lot, but I've heard honestly, that honestly, somewhere. I don't, but... I don't, I don't know, bro, because that okay. was certainly not the case for us. Yeah, right. Because we had the living child, and then we went on to experience another two devastating miscarriages. So. And the crazy thing was there was nothing wrong with my wife. There was nothing wrong with me. Like it wasn't anything that like we weren't carrying some faulty gene or anything like that. Did you guys get tested after the first two or in like your genetic testing or? So she was offered the option of genetic testing. And I, I want to say that she thought about it or she was about to do it especially after the second one but then we got our healthy child and and so i don't think we either of us went through with it but i have to double check that with her actually because she might have she might have gotten tested because i do faintly remember us having a conversation where she was like it it's nothing wrong with her and so the doctor wanted to, her doctor wanted me to then go ahead and get a, a, a test to see if it was something that I was carrying. Uh, mm-hmm. But as far as we know, it's, it was nothing that, it was nothing that was, or that is wrong with us genetically. Yeah. Um, that did caused guys, these things. Did you guys end up calling like both your moms and talking to them about it? Like asking like more questions? At okay. all or... I'm glad you asked that question because that's so that's where here... my mind goes. That's what I'm just yeah, like, I wonder no. like what was the family conversation like, I guess. Like talking yeah. to your moms, talking to your parents, because like I'm sure like just the excitement of the first pregnancy, you know, you call and you they're like, Oh my god, we're pregnant kind of thing, because you're just thinking that first time. Yeah. You're a little naive. <laughs> you know, you're young, you're naive. Um and you're just like, I'm so excited. Yeah, and then yeah. oh, so, so here, here's the, here is our experience okay. because of the overall stigma surrounding miscarriage. It it's yo, you, you've actually helped me just put this piece of the puzzle together in my mind in real time. So I appreciate you asking that question. It appears to me, it's become clear to me that my wife had more of a um, she's a nurse, even okay, though she I doesn't think- work with like, um, uh, pregnant women and baby, but in her training, she had gotten some exposure to the complications of mm-hmm. pregnancy. So in her mind, going into our pregnancies, all of them, she made it very clear that she didn't want to talk she didn't want me to say anything about her being pregnant in any way, mm, shape, or form. Okay. So I don't believe that her mom or my mom, our families did not know. Okay. They did not know okay. that she was pregnant. The only time I remember we came out of that first um, ultrasound when we were first pregnant and I was ready to tell the world, bro. Like of I was course. ready to tell the of world. You know, like that's, that's what we do. And she was like, I would really appreciate it if you didn't say anything um, until the second ultrasound confirms that this is a viable pregnancy. 
And dude, I was just like, are you serious right now? Like, I just want to shout it on the rooftop that yeah, I'm going to it's something always wanted, something that you've always looked 100%. forward to, something 100%. that has always been, like, in your mind. I mean, I love what you said earlier, just, like, you were creating that encyclopedia, like, I feel like dudes who are, like, really wanting to be dads always know they want to be dads. Like, we know from a really young age. Like, I remember putting it in school, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would put, like, doctor, like, lawyer, police officer, professional baseball player. And I would always put, like, I want to have a family, two kids. Like, I always wanted to be a dad. Always yeah. drew it out. Like, it was always there kind of thing. Yeah. So, we didn't talk to anybody. We did okay. not tell anybody. And what, what that caused is that when we were going through the miscarriages it's not something that we could have opened up to our family members because yeah. they didn't know that we were pregnant in the first place That's tough. so then that would not have been the time the place the context to then start talking about oh by the way we were pregnant and oh by the way we've we're losing yeah, this because you can't that's such a hard space because like that's that is literally, especially for men, like your sisters and your mom and whatnot, like that is your support system. Yeah, fam. That's like yes. your closest, most reliable support system. Regardless, I'm sure you were able to eventually have that really hard conversation. But eventually, it was way after the fact. I would assume it was pretty close to after your first one was like confirmed and viable. So my sisters didn't find out that we had lost two pregnancies until, oh, when was it? I mean, they ended up finding out way, 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 way after the fact. And I yeah. remember that because they were both shocked and surprised. In fact, my, no, what am I saying, bro? My sisters find out that we went through those miscarriages once I launched the Miscarriage Dads platform. Wow. When did and, you? And I launched that platform several months ago. Wow. That's, that's when they found out. That's tough because like <laughs> some of that is going to feel like just thinking of like if you were my brother or if my brother, Aaron, if he went through that, you know, I would expect not expect but like i would assume that we're close enough and tight enough for him to to i think he would to call me and be like hey man you know pregnant we have we don't know if it's viable yet we don't know if it's confirmed but um and then if it does happen like and he didn't tell me i would be or if he didn't tell me at all i'd be like what what happened, man? Like, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be a little disappointed and be a little yeah. sad, but I'll be like, come on, man. Come on, Kelly. Well, that speaks, that speaks to the complicated nature mm -hmm. of this whole thing, right? It because, does, yeah. because I'm protecting. So my wife tells me to not say anything because yeah, she wants protect to protect her. Protection. Exactly. You got to protect her and you got to honor her right. wishes. I mean, she's the one carrying the babies and simultaneously. She's cutting out my outlet and support system. Yeah. And so how can I honor her by also dishonoring you know, yourself? Dis you know what? So that's complicated mm -hmm. in and of mm -hmm. itself. Yeah. So then 
once the miscarriages happen and that's that now i have to like i said earlier backtrack and kind of hey jay so uh my wife and i were were pregnant and oh dude congratulations because you know that's the natural impulse when somebody tells yeah, I'm gonna you, cut you i'm gonna cut you off and be like oh congrats yeah, i'm not yeah, gonna congrats. let you finish exactly and then oh, oh but but by the way um we we lost the pre wait what so that is a whole conversation like, oh, in itself is that the other person you feel bad because you just like yes. got the other person excited and then you kind of yes. shatter their you kind of break the glass in the moment there at the same yeah. time you know and then now from your perspective it's going to be like okay so then why didn't you tell me this so then now i'm gonna have to be balancing now you're gonna have to answer emotion. questions you're gonna have to right. answer questions right. and be put on the spot kind of thing instead of just right. get the support that so then now i'm just juggling now i'm just juggling like yeah. my own emotions i see that you know yeah. your own thing my wife's thing and the family thing and the mm -hmm. you know so that that just goes to show how complicated this this whole thing is. So being able to just like identify oneself as someone who who can talk like you may not ever have gone through it. But then to identify yourself as someone who is open to receive that, hey, I'm I'm safe for you to talk to me about this is so mm -hmm. huge. Right. And and for me, in my the way I think about it, the only way that can happen is if we get to a level of comfort talking about this event in the same way that we get we've gotten as a society and a culture uh, comfortable talking about people having cancer, for instance, people having HIV AIDS like there used to be. A, a stigma that used to be taboo back in the days like it took a it took a whole musical about hiv aids it took rent the musical to to kind of normalize it in normalize a way. it it took magic johnson it having took magic it johnson yeah bro yeah like those are the two things when you talk about it publicly like what two things may have changed the stigma around that everyone thinks of rent the musical because everyone knows like oh it's about all these people who are living in you know new york poverty you know not having access to to proper like care and whatnot and everyone had it kind of thing support groups things like that that's what it's focused on just living with it um it's a great story beyond just the the musical itself is phenomenal i performed yeah. it in high school okay uh, i love that. that's one of my favorite that's probably a top three musical of all time for me anyways but and then you think of magic johnson like those are where your mind associates it but if you do think of like When's the last celebrity that's come out and talked about early pregnancy loss? When's the last like known athlete that talked about it? Because you know there's athletes that yes. probably some that have gone down a path of addiction, that have taken some of these mental health breaks, that have like, oh, whatever happened to this dude completely falls off the face of the earth. And there's and I think they're doing a lot of the same things that you did where they're protecting their family, they're protecting their wife, because why wouldn't they? Like, they're so public, they're so big, people are going to poke and prod and pry if they announce it. It's just like, recently, Tim Wakefield, his private matter of him having brain cancer got leaked. Mm. Public. 
they were him and his wife were trying to keep that very quiet, very private. They didn't want anyone to be worried. They didn't want any. They didn't want it out there to the world. But guess what? It's Tim Wakefield, one of the best to ever put on a Red Sox uniform and pitch in the game of baseball. Like goes out there and he it's been filled. He's been filled with sympathy and love and support yeah. since. But still, like they didn't want that. <laughs> you know, they wanted it yeah. to just be quiet and just have well wishes towards them. So I would imagine that's the same thing, but like, I can't think of one athlete who has publicly stated that they've I gone think, or dealt with. I, early think the, I think over the past um, several years, as you hear my son in the background, you just can. losing his mind. Um, that's that's okay. the second born Eden. He, yo, he has a set of lungs, yo, like, my man, he could probably, if you put him in a glass room, he'll probably shatter all the glass with, with his voice. That's how high pitch it is. But I think over the past several years, there's been uh, some celebrities who have begun to open up about um, having a miscarriage or losing a child, either through a stillbirth or neonatal birth or, mm -hmm. or um, losing a pregnancy before the 20 weeks, which is the technical definition of, of a miscarriage. Um, and it's starting to, it's starting to push the needle in what I consider to be the, the right direction, but it's still one of those things that, and to just put it out there, I'm not saying that, you know, people have to get comfortable talking about it. Like you and I are having this casual conversation now, because there's nothing comfortable or casual about going through that experience. What no. hasn't happened yet is a level of acceptance, social acceptance for something that occurs so frequently, right? Because the basic statistics is that one out of four pregnancies end in miscarriage. Mm -hmm. So this is something that happens very quite common. Common. Very common. It happens very often. Common. But then the fact that folks don't talk about it and that socially we are not at a place where it's acceptable to, to talk about. That means that when Kelly had a miscarriage, Kelly had to go back to work and Kelly had to pretend in a pediatric setting that Kelly didn't just come from the clinic with his wife and Kelly is carrying the words, this is not a viable pregnancy. Kelly has to go back to work pretending that he doesn't have to accompany his wife to the clinic to get a DNC so that this, this, the tissue, the tissues can, can be removed from, from his wife's body. Kelly has to go to work and Kelly has to be a functioning member of society, not just in his workspace, but if Kelly goes to church or if Kelly has a group of friends or if Kelly has, you know, other Kelly goes to the supermarket, Kelly goes to the gas station. I have to carry my life as if this thing did not happen. This loss didn't happen. And that's not okay. Right. Yeah. Like that is, that is mm -hmm. just not okay. Because we talk about mental health. We talk about all these other things that impact the way that you and I function as not just men and fathers, but just people living in society. And to have such a, a strong aura of silence and taboo around this event is preposterous. It is really offensive. It's disgusting, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, no, it's, it's hard because it's, it's just they, it's the expectation, the societal expectation for men in general when they experience anything really 
is, well, go on about your day. And that's part of that double standard, right? Mm -hmm. Because women, the they'll be supported and they'll be, yeah. um, they'll be talked through it and things yeah. like that. And just on a side note, I looked it up here to see yeah. kind of some celebrities who have done it, who have experienced early pregnancy loss. Beyonce experienced one with Jay-Z mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, back in 2013. Mm -hmm. um, Carrie Underwood's experience in 2017. Uh, let's see. John Legend, Christy Teigen experienced yes, one in 2020. That, that yeah, that was a recent one. Yeah, I remember mm -hmm. that one. Uh, Christina Perry uh, in 2020. Uh, they did get pregnant later. And then Megan, uh, Prince Harry's Megan. Mm, okay. Um, in 20. 2019, 2020, so right, all of them very similar timeline, but you don't see any of these public. Michelle Obama um, had one um, before their two daughters, and both their daughters were IVF treatments. Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't, know, I didn't know that. But yeah, she probably wrote about that in her book. Yeah, so that's just crazy. Just like some of these, like, you mentioned any of those names in the breath, everyone. That's why I wanted to pick those ones out because most people are going to know those ones. But Gwyneth, Pal Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, just some names. But where's the ongoing conversation? Like, you talked about it once three years ago. I bet yeah. it's still affecting you. I bet it still weighs on your mind. So for you, like, how do you carry that? Especially with your two kids. Like, knowing that there were possibly four more. Um, of course, I don't know timelines in between and everything, if that would have been possible to have all four. Um, but how do you carry that? Is there just extra gratitude toward the two that are alive and well and healthy and screaming their heads off and have a great set of lungs? Or yeah. is there like a, or is there negative feelings at all? Or how do you balance, how do you hold the feelings of the four? mixed with the two yeah that's something that i'm actually processing through in real time through the miscarriage dad's platform because i have so i'll share this one experience that happened recently um several months ago maybe about two three months ago i couldn't sleep one night and my entire household is knocked out including the two cats like they're they're <laughs> knocked out and I sit up in my bed and I'm just wide awake. I'm just wide awake. And I had not been thinking about anything regarding what we've been talking about, at least consciously. I, I believe subconsciously my mind is always churning on something. And at like three o'clock in the morning, bro, the thought just occurred to me. The third miscarriage that we had, my wife and I had, when we had gotten to the point of discovering what the sex of the baby would be. And I always wanted to be a, when, when my wife was pregnant the first time, we had a wager that the baby was going to be a girl. And uh, she had the wager that it was going to be a boy. I always wanted to be a girl dad. So 
that third miscarriage, we did find out when the results came back after the fact that that was going to be my baby girl. So at three o'clock in the morning, that thought just washed over me and overcame me. And I'm sitting in bed next to my wife who is passed out. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, I'm never going to be a girl dad. Like I'm never going to have a daughter. And all of those dreams and, and crazy nonsense that I envisioned myself doing when I had a daughter, that was the first time. And this was, like I said, several months ago. And this miscarriage happened maybe two years ago. So that was the first time in two years that I started to grieve the loss of not just this baby, but the loss of a reality that I had started to construct in my mind. And that's where the experience of the dad not being acknowledged makes the most impact. Because the woman is unquestionably the patient when we walk into a healthcare setting. She is unquestionably the patient. In that moment of losing a pregnancy, whether it be a neonatal birth, whether it be a stillbirth, in, in any way, in any of the iterations of losing a baby, in that moment, in that setting, and even outside of that setting, the woman deserves 1,000% of the attention and support and resources that are given to her and some. The failure, both on, not even both, the failure on all fronts, I believe, socially, medically, relationally, I mean, in every way, is not acknowledging that when you and I were first told that we were going to be dads, we started to create a whole reality in our minds of what our lives with this baby would be like. Mm -hmm. of the things that we wanted to do with this child. If it was a boy, I would do X, Y, and Z. If it, bro, I was, I was looking forward to replaying that scene in Bad Boys when, oh. when, when Reggie came to my house to ask to take my daughter out to the dance. Like I was, I was gearing up to mm -hmm. replay that scene with my daughter. And that morning at three something in the morning, when I couldn't sleep, I realized I will never have that moment. I'll never have the samurai swords. I'll never have the ninja stars. I'll never just do stupid nonsense in front of little boys who are looking at my girl to <laughs> scare them off. Just like I would never have any of those moments. And mm -hmm. that is, that is a loss. That is a loss as real as the loss of the actual life that did not materialize. And so not acknowledging that part is where I think the ball gets dropped epically. Yeah. So I'm trying to process all that. Um, it's real, man. It's real. It's, uh, I mean, I'm very blessed. I have two little girls and being a girl dad is phenomenal. Part of me wishes I had a boy. Um, but I got two little girls, so if you want to do some boy scaring, give me about 
six years or so. Um, I'll bring you up. Call you up. You can come up here. You can help me out. Um, I got you. If you need to live uh, live vicariously a little bit, um, I got you 100%. But, yeah, man, it's real. Um, we don't – that's the, the underlying root of the problem is that we don't treat mental health fully in our country. Mm. We don't have the – we have the ability. We just choose to put allocate those funds to foreign countries. Facts. We choose to allocate these resources everywhere else, but within. Our leadership in the country decides to go stand on a picket line for no good reason while the government's about to shut down and millions of people are either going to get furloughed, not paid, or have to work without getting paid for who knows how long. But our president rather go and stand on a picket line and support than try to make sure that these guys who he's supposed to be making sure do their job in Washington get the budget done so it doesn't affect millions of workers. Biden could be in his office still facilitating all these people, and then he could be making calls over to this. He could be calling, FaceTiming, setting up a Zoom meeting, whatever, with this union leader to talk to him. What good does it do him standing there on the picket line? Can he do anything to change and impact these people? No. What he can do is get it, get on the phone with the union leadership and talk to them. What he can do is take away the tax breaks and the focus on electric cars for a bit because that's the only thing that's subsidized and subsidize the rest of it. So that these people can go back to work because it takes less people to build an electric car, you know, or we could stop putting all this money into a proxy war and bring some of that money back into our schools, our mental health, our behavioral health, and all these other places that desperately need it. Yet, instead of treating these people, we treat these other countries to war because we love war and war fuels us. But... With with that comes the catch of all these other people who aren't getting the treatment they need. And then guess what they go and do? They go and fight guns. They go and get violent. They end up on the street with drugs and fentanyl in their hands, which is trafficked by Americans. 90% of fentanyl in our country is trafficked by Americans across the southern border. And instead of fault they fall into fentanyl they find weapons and then what do they do with the, those weapons because they're mentally unstable and they're on drugs they go and hurt and kill people um because they're mentally unstable there's been lockdowns in my area there's been several lockdowns and threats of gun violence in my area over the past week it's september we're not even a month into the school year mm. here and we're already having that like <laughs> come on like it's a very big problem, and it's so sad and pathetic that our government leadership either is too dumb to see it or is too dumb to actually realize the problem. Either way, it's a, it's a blatant show of idiocracy, mediocrity, and just sad because there's real people who need the treatment. There's mental health treatment that needs to be seen for men in this scenario that we're talking not scenario this real life situation that need the help you know imagine if you were a veteran and then you came back from deployment you and your wife go
go through this, not only do you now have to carry your own PTSD from your deployment, from the military PTSD not being treated and all these emotions that come with a miscarriage. I'm worried for that woman because this man is so unstable. Not saying that he is, not all men, but, you know, he's carrying all this weight. Like, she's either going to lose, she's going to lose her husband one way or another because he's not treated. He's unwell. And guess what? The military's not giving him treatment for his PTSD, for the depression, anxiety, feeling from being in the military that caused it because it was your choice to sign up. But we're not going to take care of you afterwards for doing and fighting and putting your life on the line. And then if you go through real world stuff, that sucks to be you kind of thing. And that's where it's at. That's the double standard. You know, the woman, yes, 100%. She is the patient. She is the one. Men will give that all day. But when it comes to it two years later, it hits you. It hits you like a freaking bus. Those loss, that grief that hits you, hits you hard sometimes. Yeah. Grief is Grief is grief, you know? And most men, I feel, don't even know how to handle grief. They don't know where to start. They don't know how to start processing it to work through it. You know, I think there's, you can see there's five stages of grief if you Google it. I really think there's seven. Um, I wrote about it before. I've talked about it on the podcast. But I think there's seven to it that are really important to go through. But, you know, it's it's sad. It's really sad and it's really hard because we have we have the money. We have the fun. We just, they're just going to everywhere else, going south, they're going north, they're going east, they're going west, going everywhere, but here, where they need to be. They're helping all these other people while people in our country are suffering. I had a coworker yesterday say that she can't even afford to eat. Mm. And we get paid today. That's tough. Most of my coworkers are all pissed off because we just got new insurance, but it's a bundle for health, vision, dental. So you can't just get dental. You have to get medical. It's unrealistic. It's fucked up. Um, it's frustrating. But um, yeah, I'll get off my uh, I'll get off my soapbox now. Thanks for coming to my TED talk. But yeah, I'm glad you got that off your chest. <laughs> yeah, but it, it it sucks. It sucks because that's like what it is. It's not treated. It's not treated. Like when when is enough enough? Like how many? Like how many men have to die by suicide by their own accord before we actually call it an epidemic? It's a four to one ratio now. Does it need to be 10 to one, 20 to one? Does it need to be like a European third world country where it's hundreds to one? Mm. Like when's enough enough? You know, not all men are going to be able to, like you, be able to process it, be able to work through it be able to grieve it, be able to work through it, and be able to handle it. Men are going to turn to other places. They're going to turn to addictive substances. They're going to turn to violence toward themselves because it's going to be internalized. It's going to become anger. It's going to become hurt. It's going to become a pain that they can't bear anymore, and they just want to be done with it. Like, when, when is enough enough? When do we start treating both people? Yes, you have to treat the woman medically and mentally. But what about this this guy over here? What about Kelly? You know, when does Kelly get get a turn to say, hey, you know, I this is my fourth one. Like, look, I this is my first one. 
I can't. This is hard. I I don't know how to handle this. Yeah. My second one. I don't know how to handle this. One in four. Does it need to be every other pregnancy that it happens to before everyone starts getting treated to make sure everyone's well? Because I mean, with food and chemicals and everything like that, it's not getting better. It's not getting no better in the, the likelihood and everything and what's in our bodies can only imagine it's going to get harder we're already in a population decline <laughs> and so it's you take all those factors it's like when is enough enough and when does where is the line drawn to help the fathers yeah that, the, that's the question that's the question right there so we have the answers we just don't want to we just don't want to acknowledge them we have the answers sucks but all right, so it's like I preface at the beginning for the listeners, you know, it's a heavy episode today um, that we got into. We got into a really hard topic, and so if you're still with us, thanks for still being with us. Um, yeah, sure. You know, if if you're crying, it's okay. I my, I got some dust in the air in my in my office in my room here, so um, you know. But anyways, let's get into the uh, let's get into the YDP three. To, to close us out here, unless there's anything else you want to add before we get into the YDP3. No, no, man. I, I really appreciate the, the space and the conversation. 100%. Likewise. Uh, so the YP, YDP3 here are three questions that we ask every guest to kind of know, know a little bit more about them, to know where their perspective lies, and just to to wrap us up here on a, on a higher note. Because sometimes we do get into some of these raw, authentic conversations. So the first one here... Uh, where are you rooted? Where do your roots run? And that can be interpreted where are you physically rooted or values, things like that. Um, yeah, I, I'm rooted in the, I'm rooted in the sense that there is a short period of time that I get to walk this earth. And to always try to make the best of it, um, not for the sake of fame or um, legacy or anything like that, but because the human experience is so complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm able to cut across all the barriers that we as people put up to justify why we're different from each other, and get to the heart of experiences that you and I might have, regardless of the things that we perceive as differences, then it makes it a lot easier for me to be a human. And it makes it a lot easier for you to remember that you are a human. So that's, that's what, that's, that's where I'm rooted. I love that. And then what, what grounds you? What helps you come back when you're, when you are sitting up, it's a great example here, but when you are sitting up at bed at three in the morning, how do you ground yourself? How do you bring yourself back to everything that's within your four walls? The little crying voices in the background there, that that's, that's my hub. I am blessed to have an amazing life partner and my wife. Um, who makes doing life so easy, even in the most difficult of situations. I'm blessed to have 
two boys who keep me on my toes and get on my nerves and um you know the whole gamut of emotions and i have two cats who are more like dogs than cats <laughs> so they also add a flavor of of um nuance much needed nuance to my day to day and this is my haven for as chaotic for as upside down as everything else often is i am fortunate that i get to witness them like i am alive at a moment in history period where they're alive and the impact that they make on my life like i i always come back to that i don't take that for granted you're gonna make me cry some more dude um <laughs> <laughs> but no i agree it's it's so beautiful to have like to have your kids and they are they are my kids are my hubs you know I mean, I only have them half the time, but, you know, I think about them, talk about them daily. And I'm so beyond grateful for my fiance. You know, my my marriage previously was not great, was very, very toxic, very, everything was a two-way street. I wasn't perfect. I'll admit to that all day long, up and down. You know, I'll admit to my faults. Um, is that always the case coming back? Not always. Because um, that's just kind of how society helps women portray their situations um like these but you know was it ever perfect times it was it was good it was good at best it was good good enough last five years shouldn't have um but you know it's i'm so beyond grateful for my current fiance because she makes life so much easier she's so supportive she's so trustworthy she's so loyal she's so loving she's so kind to the girls She's just everything and more than I could have ever dreamed of of having. Um, so I put a ring on that after, and people thought I was crazy for it, but I've known her for about two years now. Um, dated and talked for a while. We're best friends before anything else, before we even started dating. But once we started dating, it took me about, shit, four or five months to put a ring on that. Um, Cause I just knew like, this is exactly who I want, exactly what I want. You know, yeah. I've wanted this woman for a long time. I have known I wanted her for a long time. There's always something about her, something just magic from when I first, she was my oldest daughter's preschool teacher um, a couple of years ago. So it's like, just from when I met her, when we would have phone conversations about my kid, I'm just like, there is something just so, like I would crush on her before I even like had met her in person, just like talking to her on the phone. I'm just like, man, there's something. <laughs> There's something so different here. Like I felt it always. I always felt it. And when we finally started dating and like hanging out and talking and getting to know each other, I'm just like, this is magic. Mm. Like this is it. Like this this woman is it. One hundred percent. No when doubt. You know you know, bro. When yeah. you know you know. Exactly. Um, but like you said, so grateful for her. It makes life so easy. You know, I'm sure you could say the same thing, but she's my rock. Absolute queen of my life. You know, absolutely Thanks. everything and then some that I didn't have before. So I'm truly blessed, just like you. And lastly here, last one of the YDP3 here, what what advice, maybe not advice, but what are you saying to a dad who did go through an early pregnancy loss, miscarriage, 
or is just in a dark place in general. I feel like that's going to put most men in a dark place regardless. But um, what are you saying to him? To He comes to you he's like, yo, Kelly, I'm, I can't get out of this. I'm, I'm struggling. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of this hole. What are you saying to him to help to help him or to comfort him or to to empathize with him? Yeah, I don't think that I could say anything that would I don't think that I could say anything that would help him make sense of the dark hole that he's in. Um, because there's no rational explanation or even irrational explanation for why his hopes and dreams and aspirations and desire for this life suddenly were dashed to pieces. I actually think that if I were to, if there were words to say to rationalize that, it would be offensive to the life that no longer is. I would simply acknowledge that what he is feeling is more than valid. It is true. It is his experience because it's also my experience. Um, I would encourage that dad to speak with someone, myself included, to speak with someone professionally um, in order to work through the darkness that he finds himself in. I would encourage that dad to not minimize his own experience at the, or to not sacrifice it on the altar of having to be strong for his lady. I would encourage that dad to find a community of other men who have gone through what he's going through. And the miscarriage dads is one of those community. Um, there are many other communities on Facebook. There are all these Facebook groups of fathers who have gone through the experience of miscarriage and plug in, not necessarily for the sake of commiserating, although if that's what he needs at that moment, then so be it. Mm -hmm. um, the world feels a lot more tolerable when you come across somebody else who has walked a mile in your shoes and you realize that you're not the only one. And then last but not least, once he has gotten to a healthier place, I would then encourage that dad to open himself up to be that support for somebody who he may not even know could be in his circle. Man, I love that. And I think that that hits it perfectly. You know, it, the world is a lot more tolerable when you meet someone who's walked a mile in your shoes. I mean, that's how, that's how my whole platform got started. You know, when I was going through my divorce, one of our very first guests, his name's Craig, he hosted the um, Single Dad Reboot podcast. I found it. There was nothing, two, even two and a half years ago, there was nothing mm -hmm. really for divorced guys who were going through it. Stumbled mm -hmm. across his podcast and him and I have become really good friends since then because I reached out to him on Instagram. I'm like, man, thank you. Just, I was mm -hmm. just like thanking him. I'm like, your, your podcast is helping me right now. It's I'm going through it and this helps. And I would message him for just like 
when I was feeling down because he's like, dude, look, if you need someone to talk to, like, I'm here for you. Like, I don't know you, but I'm here for you. Yeah. And that right there is just so powerful. Knowing that there is someone in life that has walked the same mile as you. Facts. So I love that. So um, people can find you on Instagram, two places, right? Uh, at Welcome to Fatherhood Pod and at The Miscarriage Dad. They can also find you on Threads at The Miscarriage Dad. They can also, of course, find both your shows everywhere podcasts are available, right? They're not exclusive anywhere. They're not exclusive anywhere, no. Not yet. They will be. They will be. Yeah. Both of us will be. We'll be exclusive <laughs> somewhere eventually. But uh, you can find both of the shows, Welcome to Fatherhood and The Miscarriage Dad, which launches uh, today on today's release date for this show, October 2nd. So go enjoy it. Enjoy both of them. I know I'm going to be listening to it um, as soon as it releases. I'm excited. Um, if you release it early, then send me the link. But um, just, you know, Kelly, thank you so much for for your time, for sharing your story, talking about something hard and, you know, connecting the dots in real time and helping myself understand a little bit more and a little bit more about that journey for someone who has gone through this. So I appreciate the time. Very grateful for it and grateful for the message that was shared today. Uh, thank you so much, Jay. Thank you so much. Of course. Audience, do your thing. Are they awake? Maybe they're not awake. <laughs>